I mean, it would almost be like if someone had accused me of being racist and you're like, you know who I want to work with? Mel Gibson. <laughs> Seems like a good call. Like, mm, maybe keep that one under your hat, Jeff. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> Scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe Glengow, any Glen. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink, a martini, shaken, not stirred. Okay, let's see. Um. All right, yeah. I don't have. I don't know if I can leave any of that in because I don't want to start off the uh, podcast with with nope. more. Uh, was it allegations that haven't yet been made? I mean, I mean, there's a uh, there's sexual assault in uh, one of these movies, so there's a uh, there's a tie-in. You're not really maybe? selling it, no? uh, Dave. No. Uh, okay, let's let's go with um, a slightly more positive, but uh, also annoying. Uh, publicity tour that Edward Norton has been on, where he's basically had to <laughs> answer for give the, fact, the same interview. Well, <laughs> you know, the, it seems to like I don't know. I haven't listened to all of them, uh, but it, it seems to be couched in this like. Uh, so, Ed, uh, are you are you an asshole? Like, do people like working with you? That seems to be, <laughs> and it's, yeah, um, not a guy. I think it, if you're into movies. Especially like of our age, yeah, he was like the next big thing. Like, you know, when he was in the score, it was De Niro, Brando, and Norton. Like, there was a sort of generational like passing of the baton and didn't really go that way, but it seems to be of his own, uh, choosing. Like, it's like he just Mm -hmm. like, it's not like he tried to escalate himself to like bigger, like win more awards, like, work with like like Tom Cruise like like I'm going to work with right. the murderer's row of directors before he decided to just do Mission Impossible movies or Jack Reacher so it just seems like people are wanting to relitigate like all right let's talk about all the stuff you did in the 90s <laughs> like like you couldn't be more clear that people have like sort of stopped paying attention to the man and like you know maybe the smaller films that uh it's not as clickbaity to talk about but yeah we're talking about the Hulk right. we're talking about uh Fight Club uh, thank God for Bill Simmons and his obsession with rounders. Cause that was one like thing that I did listen to. I'm like, okay, nobody's really talking about rounders, but there's the guy that's saying, Hey, is rounders two ever going to happen? But <laughs> I, I don't know. I got tired of it. So I imagine that this guy, uh, is probably sick of answering the questions, but he seemed to be a good sport about it. Yeah, he was pretty affable. I listened to one of these interviews. I listened to when he was on Mark Marin's show, WTF, um, and it was kind of unfortunate, like as I'm listening to it, because especially back then, back in the 90s, he was one of my favorite actors. I, I think he's tremendous. Uh, and I feel like he copped to some of the like, you've been kind of a dick stuff by his performance in Birdman. Like, that's what that was. That was like, you know, the joke was this is Ed Norton playing Ed Norton. Mm-hmm. Right. So now he's being forced to like have this discussion and his reaction to it, which I thought was pretty pretty mature you know like he's he's getting older and i think he's probably much less of a hothead than he was back in the 90s and his attitude was kind of like yeah you know there were probably times when i was difficult um but artists are like that and so were the directors i worked with and i feel like we pushed each other to give our best work 
you know, and I'm and I'm okay with that. Like it, it sounded like he had kind of made peace with it, but everyone just wants to hear some horror story or some shit talking, right? So they bring up Marley, like, hey, they took the Hulk from you. Wasn't that terrible? And he's like, no, nah, not really. I'm probably better off that that didn't happen. <laughs> and they kind of talked about Fight Club. And uh, one thing I really loved is he's talking about all these all these reviewers who are kind of coming around to some of his older movies and like, actually, this is really good. And his reaction is like, hey, man, fuck you. I read your review. Like, you shit all over this. Like, you thought it was terrible. And now, because it's been more accepted, and he told this great story about uh, Fight Club getting booed on its opening night, on its premiere, and him and Brad Pitt were, like, kind of sitting in the back going, like, hey, this is actually a really good movie. Yeah, yeah, it is really good. It's the best work I've ever done. They're like, yeah, let's get out of here. Let's get high. Like, this is (laughs) – because back then they were both, you know, smoking a lot of weed. They were just like, you know – these people don't get it, and that's okay. That one and that one turned around pretty quick. I mean, by its DVD release, yeah. it was uh, you know it was quickly like going to recoup uh, Fox's investment, where it was this financial disaster theatrically. Uh, but on DVD, it had it had already found its audience. Um, I remember I always remember Entertainment Weekly giving that one an F in their initial review, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the year they did a uh, uh, like a cover of like was nineteen ninety nine the greatest year in movies and Fight Club is on the cover <laughs> and I'm like you know two months ago Fuck. this was a piece of shit yeah see I almost think Norton is almost like too sharp for Hollywood like he's not willing to just shut up. And take it like he, he has an opinion and he's he thinks it out and he's very well spoken about it. And it, but he just he can't play the game. And I don't think he's ever been able to play that game that say someone like Brad Pitt, who became a superstar. He's much better at playing that game. He's much more respectful and lets people have their opinions where Norton is just going to be like, no, <laughs> this is what I meant. And I'm going to say it. He seems to treat uh, his acting career or just, I guess, filmmaking in general uh as if he's like a member of like a band who's got like an equal stake mm-hmm. an equal say in like what we're yeah. going to produce. Uh, and that seems to have caused uh, a lot of bristling where it's like, you know, just say your lines, you know, you're, you're hired to play this part. Don't worry about the rest talk, of it. Puppet. Yeah. <laughs> Which is surprising. Yeah. Cause the, the, you know, what I want to talk about with you was, uh, as much as I love keeping the faith, which up until Mother- motherless Brooklyn was, I believe his the only, classic, I think that was his only directing gig. So that was back in 2000. So 19 well, years. Well, his only directorial credit. Let's okay, that's what I want, we want to talk about, because this whole narrative of him as being difficult to work with, uh, I'm guessing started with American History X, which strangely, uh, mm-hmm. Motherless Brooklyn, about, I think almost by a day, a day or two off of uh, 21 years, the anniversary of American History X being released. I guess what's been <laughs> just deemed the Norton version and I, even I like sort of bought into this like uh, urban legend of sorts. And I was always sort of agreeable with Edward Norton because every, even at the time, everything I read was this Tony K guy. Remind me of your favorite uh, director, David O. Russell, quite a bit as far as. Oh, which, yeah. Uh, you know, my favorite. <laughs> a year later, you know, good old Kentucky boy, George Clooney was putting him in a headlock and giving him a nookie. And <laughs> sending that's why I want to be in Kentucky. I want to be a part of that kind of energy. <laughs> The kind of energy that slaps David O. Russell around. That's what I like. Yeah, I wish more actors had uh, taken cues from Clooney. That, yeah. But um, even then, you know, some of the stuff that came out was like, basically that Kay didn't want to leave the editing room. Like, that he had produced something, they gave him a few notes and said, this is great. And he came back with a second version 
that was like nothing like the first version. So it was like, oh, a few notes, huh? We're going to change the whole thing. Uh, strangely, from what I've read, a director that gave them like an 80 minute version when he, his first cut was like two hours or just over two hours. And you have a studio that's like, uh, no, no, put, put a lot of that back. <laughs> Um, gone too far. That's too many cuts. Even then, I remember reading that he wanted to make it like a hybrid documentary thing where he wanted to interview like, uh, people in communities, like in like the church or like in politics as far as like, you know, their views on race. And, uh, I'm sure at the time, <laughs> New Line was like, um, uh, DVDs, uh, we can make a buck there. Why don't you just, why don't you work on your special features? <laughs> Just, you, you work right. on that. Right. Um, right. But it's it seems like this thing has stuck with Norton, whereas I wonder if this had just been one event, it would have been like like Clooney with David Russell, where it's like, wow, he worked with like a real asshole. Because Tony Kay, um, I think he went on to do one movie that I saw called The Detachment with Adrian Brody, and that's not like a, mm. a big... So it's not like he, he went on and had his American hustle or anything or had the fighter where he had some, some successes. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing this all comes down to to Hulk? Is it is it the, the Marvel news that has kept Norton? Because I, I don't think that people, you know, film fans as they are now would be like... That Tony K, he really got screwed over by Ed Norton. I think that what they really care about is like, why aren't you Bruce Banner anymore? Like, why would you turn that down? Like, you mm. turned down the lottery ticket. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. I think the Hulk thing is a part of it, but also he was on a trajectory as a young actor to be like a Marlon Brando or a Paul Newman, like a star. Like he was on that, like especially like his first appearance <laughs> in that uh, in Primal Fear. It's just like, oh my god. This guy is incredible right out of the gate. And he seems to have kind of removed himself from that. Like he's like, no, I'm good. I'm going to just scale it back. And he seems to want kind of control over the process, which I don't really have a problem with. Um, So I think that's a part of it too. And it makes me wonder if this movie never happened, right? And he got in some big fight with Fincher. I wonder if this doesn't follow him because everybody knows Fincher's a control freak and really difficult to work with and wants to do 900 takes of every single shot. Uh, and I wonder if like, oh, well, he got in a fight with Fincher, but everybody fights with Fincher, so it's fine. But it's with this nobody, <laughs> Danny Kay. And then it's like, oh, well, he's the one we recognize, so we're going to remember this about him. And then as things start to pile up and nobody – and the thing you notice when people were talking trash about Edward Norton and saying he's difficult to work with, I think the most telling thing is like no one really came to his defense like no one was no none of the other actors were like no no he's a really good guy like nobody really piled on but nobody helped out either so that is pretty telling like i think he would be a difficult person to work with but i think if you look at his output if you look at his portrayals even in a movie like the incredible hulk uh, which is like way underrated in in my opinion i think it's actually a really good movie um i think that uh if you look at that like there's talent there and it kind of makes me sad that I feel like either because he peeled back or because he was kind of attacked, I think we lost out on some really good stuff. Because I'm having a hard time thinking of a bad Ed Norton performance. Like, they're all pretty good. Look, he has an uncredited role. I've not seen it. Maybe a voice in Alita Battle Angel from it earlier. Is, it is not a voice. Uh, it is uh, noticeable. He's there. Uh, he's barely in it, thank God. But uh, he seems it's to- quite the look. 
enjoy <laughs> this type of stuff. I, I mean, I'm looking at this. So he's a voice in uh, Isle of Dogs, and he's got bit parts in some of the more recent Wes Anderson movies. Uh, he's a voice in Sausage Party. He was in Collateral yep. Beauty, which I didn't see, but was sort of heralded as like a uh, a new great disaster of a movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with Will yep. Smith. His taste is interesting as far as what he chooses to work on, but it seems like, I mean, if you look at it, it is definitely not going for like what I would have thought of earlier in his career as Oscar Beatty roles. And I think that's maybe one accusation you can lob against uh, American History X. All right, listen up. We need to open our eyes. There's over two million illegal immigrants bedding down in this state tonight. This state spent three billion dollars last year on services for those people who had no right to be here in the first place three billion dollars four hundred million dollars just to lock up a bunch of illegal immigrant criminals who only got into this country because the fucking INS decided it's not worth the effort to screen for convicted felons who gives a shit our government doesn't give a shit our border policy is a joke so is anybody surprised that south of the border they're laughing at us? Laughing at our laws? Yeah. Every night, thousands of these parasites stream across the border like some fucking pinata exploding. <laughs> Don't laugh. There's nothing funny going on here. This is about your life and mine. It's about decent, hard-working Americans falling through the cracks and getting the shaft because their government cares more about the constitutional rights of a bunch of people who aren't even citizens of this country. On the Statue of Liberty, it says, Give me your tired, your hungry, your poor. Well, it's Americans who are tired and hungry and poor. And I say until you take care of that, close the fucking book. Because we're losing. We're losing our right to pursue our destiny. We're losing our freedom. So that a bunch of fucking foreigners can come in here and exploit our country. And this isn't something that's going on far away. This isn't something that's happening places we can't do anything about it. It's happening right here. Right in our neighborhood, right in that building behind you. Archie Miller ran that grocery store since we were kids here. Dave worked there, Mike worked there. He went under and now some fucking Korean owns it who fired these guys and is making a killing because he hired 40 fucking border jumpers. I see this shit going on and I don't see anybody doing anything about it. And it fucking pisses me off. Now remember at the time that you know the, the director part of the like the, the media attention was he was saying this like prima donna actor is trying to like you know win himself a trophy making it more palatable to audiences but when i was watching motherless brooklyn and as big of a fan as i am of keeping the faith it's funny the stuff that norton has his fingerprints on it seems like he's really striving to make it fairly palatable sort of like classic movie storytelling Mm -hmm. like he's not for him to be as combative as his reputation is He's not making like really hyper aggressive, challenging stuff as far as what he's chosen to direct. It seems like he's trying to tell stories that most anyone can enjoy. And like in this recent round of interviews for Motherless Brooklyn, he kept harping on Chinatown. It was like, and it's like, if you've seen Chinatown, which most have, you look at Motherless Brooklyn. You mean one of the greatest movies ever made? Yeah. Well, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> in these times, and it's it's funny to talk. Director about, seems like a nice guy. <laughs> well, like I, I didn't really want to go there, but it's like it is funny that we're talking about like Edward Norton. What an asshole! And it's like you know him wanting or caring or being passionate about like what they're putting on the screen. If that's the only thing that comes out about him, 
that's weird that he's going to wear that as opposed to what some other yeah. you know directors have uh, put out there in their personal lives. Yeah, and that's always seemed really shitty to me because it. Whenever I heard complaints, it wasn't just like, "Oh, he's a jerk." It was like he's difficult to work with because he's really demanding as an actor, as you kind of mentioned. Like, kind of wants his fingers in all those pies. Like, he really wants to be a part of the creative process and make something great. And I'm like, is that what we're punishing now? People who want to be good at their jobs, like that's bad. Like, just like I mean, but if you, you know, it's interesting when you think about. Okay, what do you what do you think of actors in general? Like, if you asked if you dug him up and asked Hitchcock, he would be like, "Fuck this guy!" Like he, they're cattle. Just stand where yeah, I, hit your mark. Stand where I told you to stand <laughs> and talk. Yeah. Just say my words, will you? You know. But then there's other directors who are a lot more. You know, they work with there are other directors. They work with their actors a lot more. Like you know, you have someone like Fincher who does all these different takes and different styles, and I'm sure he, in the end, appreciated working with someone like Ed Norton. So. You know, I just it's it's hard for me to get behind the kind of like, oh, what a jerk he wants to make good art. Like it's just like uh, I want an actor like that. Like well, here's that's the flip what we side should be asking of that. Do you think that mm-hmm. uh and I do not don't dare disparage keeping the faith because we're not talking about that. I, 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 dare. I didn't include I know you just hang up on me. Yeah, I'm not even gonna, like <laughs> that's not even like I'm not even giving you a window for that shot. But I, you know, I've I just saw, want to say, even the faith is a good movie. I just want to put that out there. You well, don't have to worry. At it's the a good top, one. top, very top of the show. Yes. I'm going to extract that little clip. Um, although uh, Tony K, an interview I saw uh, talking about his his experience on American History X, he's like, "Well, you saw Keeping the Faith. Look at that guy. Like, look what maniac they put in charge of American History X. It was garbage, <laughs> garbage. I tell you, which." I kind of liked because it's it's like you know we're we're reducing this to like Mean Girls like thing where we're trying to like these you know these artists are like you know well the thing he did sucks worse than mine so you know what what do you think about that <laughs> and this is like years after the fact too but some you know the reviews were not kind to Motherless Brooklyn and I no. also wonder if the difficult actor type like if it, let's say he was making Birdman if people would be like. It, like if that was an Edward Norton joint, if they'd be like, it's all worth it. You know, he's an egomaniac, but like, you know, that look, look at him. He's putting it all out there. And to make like a, an, an ode to Chinatown, which apparently is like one of Norton's favorite movies and to mm-hmm. keep it very popcorn. Like I could take my grandma to see motherless Brooklyn and yeah. would probably enjoy it. I wonder if there's, you know, some sting with, uh, film critics now that he's not is dark and troubled as far as what he chooses to work on. And it will give you like, he's the camp counselor <laughs> from moonrise kingdom. He's the voice of a dog, you know, an Isle of Do- like, I'm wondering if they're holding that against him, that, that reputation, like they actually wanted to see this guy, like be a maniac and be that Supreme Madonna that maybe you wouldn't want to work with, but it's all worth it. Like when the art comes out, which is something we've had to battle with post me too. Anyway. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's probably part of it. I think, like, I watched this movie, like, because I had heard, like you, I had heard all the rumblings from critics, like, worst movie of the year, it's a disaster, like, why did he, why did he spend so much time on this movie, why was this a passion project? So I was expecting, like, to be entertained by its terribleness, and I was like, this is a nice, this is a nice movie, I like this, and I think we... We don't have a lot of movies like this anymore that like fits into kind of the noir genre really well and kind of wears its heart on its sleeve. And I think 
from a lot of critics, there's this attitude of like, well, that's not cool to do anymore. Like you just can't show us your themes like that. Like it's gotta be dark. It's gotta be brooding. It's gotta have an ending that leaves you gutted, you know? And it was just like, sometimes you could just watch a nice movie. Like I, you know, I rated this on Letterboxd. I gave it three out of five stars. Like it had some problems, but, and I walked away from it feeling like I was singing its praises in comparison to everything else I saw online. I liked it. It It was pretty good. And that was like, Oh my God. (laughs) Like I might as well give it six stars out of five. Like people who are reacting to this. And it was just like, I think there is a tendency not only with critics, but with moviegoers in general to be like, either it's the worst thing I've ever seen or it's a cinematic master masterpiece. And I'm like, there's room in the middle here. And this is a nice little middle gray area movie that I really enjoyed. Like to me, it reads and I I liked it quite a bit. So if I'm, I have not bothered to uh, give the official letterbox stamp for my account, but I I would say four out of five for me. Cause I'm like, I just had a really good time with it. And did it break the mold in any way? No, not not a chance. There's nothing like, but like there are bands I listen to, and when I read interviews with them, they're like, "Oh yeah, I totally wanted to like th- that was one of my favorite songs. I want to do that. I want to do my version of that." And I totally ripped off that band or that artist that I really admire. And it seems like, in, in particular with like cinephiles, there's this gatekeeping aspect. Where if, you know, if Norton goes out and it's like, I love Chinatown. Why don't they make movies like Chinatown anymore? I want to make like a Chinatown movie. They, they don't want it decoded. Like kind of what you're saying. They, they want to be the gatekeepers where they're like, no, no, yep. I'll tell people what the influences were. Don't you dare <laughs> go out there and say just Chinatown. Okay. Listen, I got something wrong with me. That's the first thing to know. I got threads in my heads. I got threads in my heads, man. I twitch and shout a lot. If- Makes me look like a damn freak show. Can't you ever cut that out? I'm sorry. Touch it, Bailey. I'm sorry. But inside my head's an even bigger mess. I can't stop twisting things around. Words and sounds especially. Have to keep playing with them until they come out right. Sorry. Jeez. Forget I asked. Like I said, a damn mess. Then I started working for Frank. Frank Minna, Private Eye. Boys. Frank, frankly, frankly, Franco. He's the one who taught me how to use my head, turn it into a strength. He gave me a place in this crappy world until I screwed up. Frank! Brooklyn, she's in trouble now. Does anybody know what Frank was into on this? There's something going down, and it's big, and they were not happy about what he found. We find who did this, and we square accounts. If I figure it out, I'm going to make him regret it. I promise you that. And I also think he tap dances along a really difficult line with his acting choices here, right? This is a very actorly performance, right? Well, I mentioned the score with De Niro and Brando, and in in that (laughs) one, he is playing a, a... you know, a con man who is impersonating someone or presenting himself as someone that is mentally handicapped, I believe would have been, I think in the film, what they would say, but actually probably right. with that coming out in 2000, maybe worse, but I don't know. We might have moved past some of the other <laughs> language. It wouldn't be acceptable now, but even then, and that's, that's a thriller. So there's no, no attempt to say like, Oh, he's trying for something like showy here. Cause you're just like, Oh, con artist, right. I'll let it pass. But when you, when you, when you watch them together and I'm the asshole that's like, 
oh, new Edward Norton movie. I want to go play some of the hits again. So I watched the score, and then I see the trailer for this. I'm like, man, you, you kind of you, you like doing a little a little bit extra, don't you? Like it's a little much yeah. as far as what you want with your, your characters. And Primal Fear would be another one where there's like certainly sequences where uh, he's being interrogated by Richard Gere, where he's gotta he's gotta do something else, right? Uh, right. Strangely, you know, when I mention stuff like Moonrise Kingdom, I'm like, wow. In comparison to the these performances, it's kind of really subtle, mellow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In this, you know, he plays a character with Tourette's, uh, and I think it, it's it's a performance that I enjoy. I would love to hear what someone who actually suffers from Tourette's would have to say about this because I don't know, right? Like it feel it feels like a good performance to me, but I don't know. Maybe this is really offensive. I have no idea. Uh, but I think the the part where it like almost tiptoes over that line is the fact that this is your lead character, right? It's one thing to have a character like this who has these ticks who goes a little bit over the top in a performance when it's a supporting character, but when this is your guide to the movie, like you got to be really, really careful. And I think he manages it. And I think. A lot of it is because of his interactions with Gugu and Batha Ra in this movie. I think the two of them together are fantastic. Like, I honestly, I would watch two and a half hours of those two walking down the street talking to one another. Like, it's so great. Uh, and, you know, of course, they kind of play into that old theme of like, oh, this woman is soothing, you know, the savage beast here. Like, she's making everything a little more palatable. And that's been done a thousand times. But I think because of her genuineness and his his physical performance, I think that stuff really works. I think, you know, as much as I – and I knew it's based on a, a – I think Jonathan Lethem, I think, is the author. I've – I mean, kind of. Well, yeah, <laughs> According well, to Norton, it's like a very – give him a wide berth in terms of adaptation. <laughs> so he wrote some – I read one of these, like kind of noir things he did, but it had like a sci-fi-ish element to it. Like it, whatever mm. setting it was in was just like – and they didn't really dive into it, but it's just like, oh, you have to accept there's some like quirks to this world. Now, with from sure. what I understand with this one, it was set – I think it came out in 99. I think it was just a modern – novel so it was just yeah. some yeah. so yeah you uh decide to do that you <laughs> uh use some historical figures which alec baldwin is is based on an actual person but clearly they uh they didn't name him as such because there's some other shenanigans that i'm sure they don't <laughs> they don't want to put on the man <laughs> um and then the shaping of new york and it's you know it's it's fine you know if i ever get around to reading it i'm sure i'll i'll rage for like the the fans of that book but probably not um probably not I, I think that for me, like the dynamic of it is with, with a noir film, you're so used to like this sort of Harrison Ford type, like the, mm. and I know he's, I don't think other than Blade Runner, he's ever had the chance to, to do that, but he's got the voice and the mannerisms. I mean, even when he's in a, uh, <laughs> a supposedly like a romance, like I watch Random Hearts for another, uh, another podcast <laughs> I mean, from 1999. And he is basically playing like a gumshoe who is like braiding people and distant and like, you know, sarcastic. That's supposed to be like a passionate love affair movie. So that that's a guy who is like meant to be in this world. And what I liked about, I guess, Norton's character is he can't really hide behind a sort of facade. Like even when he's trying to, <laughs> he's going to sort of out himself. So you're going to have these moments where he's trying to play tough and play hard. 
and you know his, his sort of his brain activity sort of spikes and he and there's a sequence with alec baldwin where he keeps like apologizing and you, it's weird because you have like the nemesis of the film and he keeps having to say sorry that happens and it's almost like baldwin becomes annoyed that it's like this character is messing with the flow of the fact that they're in a noir film <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're right, breaking right. the mood of this here uh, and I, I guess I, I liked it. I didn't think I would. Based on the trailers, I'm like, oh, like you, I was like, that could, yeah. that could be rough. But I actually kind of got into it because I felt like some of the other characters, I would forget for a while that that was something. And so when it came up, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's something that you go through. I also like that it wasn't like, to me at least, it didn't come across as like it gave him some sort of superpower. Yeah, his superpower was that he could remember things, and that had nothing to yeah, do. Yeah. If anything, this got in the way. Exactly. Yeah. Of that, yeah. like you'd have to chew gum or you know smoke weed or whatever. You know, when I was watching this movie, and we talked about this. This happens often. There are moments in a movie where I'm like, Mike's gonna love this, Mike's gonna hate this, and there was a moment in this movie that I was like, Mike's gonna be so mad. Do you do you have any idea mm, no. what it would be? Mm-mm. It's a movie that talks about a threesome and never shows a thing. Like, they wake up the next morning, and they're like, by the way, we all had sex. And just like, anyway. And then I love that the movie just kind of moves on from it. Like, there's no no real discussion, and, like, our lead character doesn't even have a reaction to it. It's almost like, oh, we all had sex? All right, then. Let's go on with my day. Thanks for letting me crash. (laughs) (laughs) Needed a place to stay, so... (laughs) Yeah, if I had to put on the hard hat and do some work around here, that's expected. <laughs> yeah, I uh I'd say I I probably would have enjoyed that, like, you know, most people I think would, but uh that may have broken the mood. Uh and uh, like you, I, I I liked being in uh I guess the the Norton character's headspace where you're like there's a lot going on. I'll I'll deal with that later. Like whatever. Like no matter. We're we're fighting for the city of New York here. It's it was weird watching this in conjunction with like trying to like look at his career twenty one years ago with American History X, uh, which also opens with a sex scene, which uh, yeah. is, I, that that was actually one time where they don't I'm shy like, away from it. <laughs> I, I I wasn't into it like uh, with your like you know Nazi girlfriend making too much. Not noise. a big fan of the craft. Uh, not, not a big Bulk fan. I don't know if I've ever seen the craft in full. I've seen bits of it on TV, but oh, you'd hate it. You should not. You'd hate it. You'd you'd be so angry. No, <laughs> they just they just mention threesomes left and right and never show anything. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Yes, exactly. I know, I know how Definitely. witches get down. You know, I expect. You know, <laughs> but it's probably PG thirteen or something. <laughs> Good point. Um, yeah, that that one, uh, not so much. And you and I had talked before this. We talked last night doing uh, a podcast directed by us, so we were kind of kicking the tires on how we were going to approach this. And you you mentioned really liking this movie then when you were. You know, much younger and probably in the demographic as far as the age group that the, the characters are in. And I was young, angry men. <laughs> yeah. Back in your, uh, you know, when you were dabbling in Nazism, Dave, you know, before it, uh, I mean, you know, unfortunately, who, before who among us, Mike, who well, has it dabbled in Nazism. You know, you, you were a uh, hipster about it. You know, now it's mainstream. So yeah, it's not cool anymore. It's true. Which actually, I'm not interested. <laughs> it's sad to say, I hope it's not cool anymore to be a Nazi because I mentioned Harrison Ford. I took for granted when I was a kid that like, oh, Nazis, that's just an easy villain because everyone hates them. And then, <laughs> right. <laughs> now, here we Thanks, are. Thanks, <laughs> Um, but I, I agreed with you. I, I said that this was it. Watching it now, it feels very much like a young man's movie, and I had a little bit more difficulty 
getting into it. And, and maybe it also the, the you know the Donald Trump era that we're in. I had a little bit more difficulty because these people like, and they they allude to it. You have a character saying the internet's making this like blow up, but I I think it, it would just be a very different movie now, and it would be a very different demographic that they're focused on as far as people that are sort of drafted into this mindset uh, would be, uh, you know, college educated and country club types as opposed to right. uh, lower middle class. Yeah, this was a, this was a harder watch for me than I expected it to be. Like I mentioned this to you that like, you know, especially back in the nineties, early two thousands, like I watched this movie a lot. I loved this movie. I was a big Ed Norton fan. I thought this was great. And it was hard for me to get into this time. Saying you're watching yeah. American history X over and over. <laughs> <laughs> There's some sort because of I like it dark, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm on, I'm on many lists already. That was just one more. Uh, but it was really hard to get into for a couple reasons. Um, one that you mentioned is that it's depressing to watch this now in the current climate we're in. You know, because this felt like when I remember watching it in the 90s, this felt like really extreme. And like, I know that these groups exist, but this isn't something I have to worry about. You know what I mean? I have to worry about the rise of of neo-Nazis, you know, like you might have to worry if you go to a punk show, if you go to the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, But like in my daily life, I'm not going to run into skinheads in the suburbs. Right. It's probably not going to happen. And now with the way things are now, you're just like, oh, well, you know, they might not look like this. They might not shave their heads, but there's Nazis apparently everywhere, you know, with their tiki torches, just, you know, (laughs) hanging out in public places. So that's hard to watch for me. And I think we mentioned it being like a young man's movie. Right. And I think that was one of my issues watching it this time is as I get older, I'm like, you know, when you you're dialed up to 11 for 115 minutes at a, at certain points, you're kind of like, yeah, this is still intense, but like, man, I just, can we take a breather here? Can we take a break? Like, do we need to scream through every single sequence? Like, of course these are intense moments and they're important. You know, it's about, you know, changing your life. It's about protecting your family from the literal evil that's next door. Like, I get that. But part of me is just like, I'm tired. Like, I can't listen to you scream obscenities at this guy one more time. Like, I just like... Ethan uh, Supley, uh, the uh, My Name is Earl. Star star of both movies, by the way. He was in uh, uh, Motherless Brooklyn as well. Nice. Yeah. So I just assumed that uh, him and Norton got along. So, you know, he, he gets them back in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, him, his sort of introductory scene where he, uh, you have Norton's character who's, uh, God, first fucking morning out of, out of prison, uh, for, for brutally murdering two, two, <laughs> two men. Um, and I, I just have to have an aside here. I was watching this with my wife and she's like, yeah, I've never seen this. And she's like, no way to have seen this. Like, cause the opening sequence, you know, with the, the mm-hmm. lovely sex scene with the little Nazi girlfriend, uh, and, uh, John Connor, you know, trying to be polite, like, hey, uh, don't mean to interrupt. Uh, excuse me. Sorry, guys. But, <laughs> stop, uh, your car. Stop your caterwauling. Uh, get out here. Someone's breaking into your truck. Um, she was like, oh, no, I have seen this. Oh, this is horrible. This is horrifying. I remember this. I, I feel like that the sequence and what she didn't realize is that we're going to go back to like and we're going to double down on how horrific it is. That scene uh, is a strange, like, sort of pop culture moment, or it's like one of those, like, yeah, it's a fictional stopping scene. Is, yeah, yeah, it's a fictional like, faces of death for like the YouTube like era where like, and so she, it's and it's like, haunting. Like even watching it now, like that sound effect is like, oh, I want to leave the room. I don't like this. So there are <laughs> definitely worse things, but those are the things I remembered, and they're supposed to be 
uh, you know, very uncomfortable. But yeah, uh, Ethan Supley like coming in and like dropping f bombs and like getting in people's faces, like spitting and like spitting out jelly beans that he just like <laughs> throws in his mouth. Like there is just too much going on, and <laughs> it did kind of make me want. Uh, maybe Norton to have made this his feature debut because there might have been a little bit more, uh, classic storytelling. I feel like it's a movie that's aping to be like experimental when it's taking a script that has a pretty clear arc. You know, this, this fall yes. of a young man and then him, uh, trying, uh, to redeem himself and for something that he probably can't, like the influence that he's had. That's one thing I read is that apparently the original director had no interest and the redemption aspect of it, like one key difference was, um, later on in the film, he, like he says at some point, like, well, I'll just go away. I'll just, well, my family will just move away from this. We'll just go somewhere else and we will just have a clean break start over, which is realistic, but it's not exactly dramatically satisfying. If he gets out of prison, then it's like, pack up. Let's just forget this ever happened. <laughs> yeah. The redemption angle is really the only thing that makes this movie worth watching. Like, I, you know, I can't imagine this movie without that, because I think that's that's I mean, that's part of the whole message. Right. Is that like even if you make good on this, like your past can come back, this this cycle of violence, like that whole thing. And I I remember first seeing this, like being shocked with the way the movie ended, like the fact that his brother is the one who gets it like you're because in that sequence, it's very well filmed where it, it you're it looks like you're waiting for something to happen to Derek, to Ed Norton's character. And then they flip it around on you. And I was like, as a, as a young film viewer, I was like, whoa, like that definitely, you know, took me aback. And I think it's really well done. I think that arc is really important. I like the actor who plays the, the teacher as well. I mean, they hit the, they hit the title real hard in this movie. That was something I noticed this what time will around. We call this like, class. We will call it American History X. Like, it's very I mean, like, oh, if you lean into it and you hold that until then you roll your credits right after, as soon as he says it, this bam, like, I don't know, maybe a little cheesy, but I think I would have liked it. Kind of admire it, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the redemption arc is powerful. I think. I think Norton played because he's essentially Norton's essentially playing two roles in this movie, right? Like he's playing the like, you know, the white supremacist version of Derek and then the after jail Derek. Like he's playing two very different characters. And I think he's convincing in both of them. And that's not easy to do. I think maybe the only unconvincing thing is the uh, (laughs) there's a scene with a news report right after his father dies and his ridiculous backwards hat and terrible hair talking about, you know, all the terrible things that this neighborhood has become like that. That scene is a little over the top. And I like that they kind of bring it all home in this movie with being like, actually, it's not about the fact that dad died. Like this was happening before. Like this was dad's attitude too, because through most of the movie, the, the father is deified. Like he's this perfect father figure. And then you realize, Oh no, he's super racist too. <laughs> like, also, he's actually uh... terrible. A key difference between uh, both versions was the uh, Tony K. He wanted to tell that chronologically, so that would have been right at the jump and not revealed. Uh, which this K guy sucks, <laughs> Team Norton. <laughs> I mean, you, I think that um, it's something that you and I, as big film buffs, like you know, it's it's never cool to be like, ah, the director, get rid of them, like that. You know, like there is something like. 
the the Star Wars. I'm thinking somebody with a podcast all about directors. I'm like, sure, that guy. Well, we need to have a we'll have a month where we talk about like the ones like yeah, throw them over. Like you know, they had it wrong. Like you know, take the movie away from them. Uh, but like the the Star Wars movies, like that's been sort of the common thing with the uh, the the, the post Lucas uh, aspect of it is everyone bitched about like the prequels and it's like God George Lucas like no one could talk him out of this shit it's like but it's funny because it's like well he is the creator of it and we're talking about it like he stole something from us and what now, an idiot this guy like with Kathleen Kennedy it's just been like the you know whenever they're making one it's like okay so who are they going to bring in to actually fix it like who's the who's going to be the second director to take over after this one fucks mm-hmm. up or doesn't do as Disney pleases so yeah I think as film fans you're sort of programmed to be like no once you hire a director it's their movie like you know we're gonna put their name above it right uh i I would recommend dave if you have it in front of you uh just a screen which i'm sure you do you have multiple ones probably if you just pull up tony k's imdb and the uh picture that i'm assuming i don't have a screen i have imdb already open so i assume (laughs) that the the people are there you know publicity oh that is a that is a look that's, that's that is not what I expected him to look like. <laughs> if I ever get really, you know, halfway decent at these podcasts, I will do like the professional ones and like as we're talking, like change the cover art to the, to the picture so that you Ooh. can look at your phone and enjoy it. I probably would not have done that, but yeah, check out Tony K. I only pulled it up because I mentioned Detachment, which is apparently from 2011, the last film that uh, he was involved with. Uh, didn't you know? Didn't go on to to do something else to sort of prove people right. The critics of Norton. That's like yeah. this guy had another great one in him. It's, in case people don't want to look him up, he kind of looks like Alan Moore, but terrified. Like just yeah, it is a Alan look, Moore, but friends. not imposing. Like without the the, no. the 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 black arts, without the you know the rings and the spells that he's casting. <laughs> right, like with right. his eyes, exactly. Actually, he he's <laughs> he looks like Alan Moore is casting a spell on him or like sucking out his life. A uh, very frail <laughs> bearded man, wide eyed, yes. about to be hit by something. Uh, yeah. A lot of the stuff like I read, I was just like, Oh, that sounds like the wrong move as far as like making this like a narrative that's satisfying. And that's, yeah. it's interesting. Like, I think if you like watch like Norton, a lot of things he's talking about, like what is not only interesting, but like there is some sort of, just classic storytelling as far as like, no, we want to hit these emotional beats and I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to make a movie where I play a Nazi who murders two men, goes to prison and it's like, Oh, this kind of sucks. Now it sucks for me. sucks for my family. I'm let's done. Just leave, guys. <laughs> yeah. Let's just leave. <laughs> let's literally run away from my problems. Like that's a great protagonist. What are we doing? <laughs> Come on. And that, so I don't know, like, with Motherless Brooklyn, like, I don't know if people were wanting just something stranger or, you know, if people don't like that. It's it, You said, like, you know, he's interested in being on the nose. Like, he has a very specific idea, and he's going to hit that. Uh, so yeah. I don't know. Like, you could make the accusation that the stuff that interests him seems to be highly telegraphed. Here's where I will talk a, a little bit of shit about keeping the faith as far as the premise. Not only is about a priest and a rabbi in a love triangle, but they mentioned the fact, I believe they start the film saying like, have you heard this joke about a, you know, priest and a rabbi walking into a bar? I mean, like they, you know, they just, then, and they have it very on the nose, a priest walking into the bar to say those lines of dialogue. Uh, but I'm able to move past it. I don't know. I think I, 
I applaud you know, people more when they know what they want and they're not really shirking. Yeah. For that. So I kind of love that about Norton as, as a director in these, like, you know, I think we can say that American history X is his movie. Um, and these three features is you would expect someone who is a career performer, a career actor, like he was kind of raised to be an actor. He went to acting school. He did a lot of work on stage. You expect them to be like cagey. You expect them to be like, oh, I'm going to make an art picture, right? I'm going to make something that like you you might not you might not understand what's going on. It's one of the few negative things he said about Chinatown, actually, is like – if you ask 99 people out of 100 who watched it, I guarantee you 99 of them would not be able to tell you the plot. Like they might be able to tell you how it ends, like with the the family issue and, you know, maybe mention that, you know, Nicholson's nose gets cut. But if you had if you had to tell like the story of like why the water was being siphoned away, blah, 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 it's really complex. And he doesn't seem too interested in telling like something super complex. Like there are a lot of twists and turns in motherless Brooklyn, but none of it, like he, he spells it out for you. And, and you're that's not waiting to see who the villain is. You know who it is. You just don't yeah. know exactly. Like he's interested in the, no, the, like the motive is clear as well. Like why they're doing it. Yep. Like it, it's almost like, it's just like, why are you using these particular people to your ends? Like, right. you know, people that, it seems like the gods are just messing with him. And so he's, he's trying to find that connection with why in this case, like Gugu and Bathara, like, you know, he, I think more than just, it becomes this romantic thing, but I think he's just interested in how this like sort of like common woman who's so far removed, like politically, like they, and we meet people who like connect her to the top and it seems baffling to Norton's character. It's like, wait, why aren't you taking out her boss or her boss's boss? That sort of thing. Like right. why this person, uh, so that, that is why I dug it. And yeah, I listened to some of that and it's like, you know, even I was like, you know, I've seen Chinatown probably <laughs> 10 to 20 times. And it's like, if people ask me, I'm like, well, so it's about uh, water. You see, there's water. <laughs> yeah, Water's yeah. being moved around. Exactly. Uh, and then he's got salt water. There's dead body. And, uh, yeah, but, the, and then we'll get to some incest. Yeah. Oh. There's some incest. You know what? It's got Jack Nicholson. <laughs> uh, just watch it. You know, it's just, it's a cool movie. Yeah. Very cool. Exactly. So here's what I'll say. I think uh, Ed Norton deserves some sort of directing award, and here is why. For the first time in maybe a decade or two, someone got a good performance out of Bruce Willis. Like, he looks like he's actually trying here, and is charming, and you understand the connection he and Norton's character have. Like, it is a really good Bruce Willis performance. I Like, sometimes you forget an actor like that can be that affable and that charming. Because that's what he built his career on. But like the last 10 years or so, he's been like, eh, just he's doing the Gus Van Sant. He's counting his money. Like, I'm not really interested in giving great performances anymore. But he's really good here. And I don't think there's really a weak performance in this movie. Like, and I think that's something you have to give credit to a director, whether it's just like you did a great job with casting or like you actively got good performances out of a pretty big cast too it's not like it's a movie with only three characters like this is a pretty wide-ranging film you know both in scope and in terms of like runtime like it really takes its time so if you have weak spots here i think it's really noticeable and i don't really think there is in terms of the performances do you think that um people who are really into movies are, are they looking for just like a singular statement or like vision that they can hang their hat on more. So like, it seems like we've taken the auteur theory to the extreme where it's not even just, did you tell like an interesting story or something like, you know, not to harp on Chinatown. Cause that's, <laughs> but like, as Norton has said in those podcasts, like 
it's not like that the story itself is, is fascinating. It's a great script, but it's not just something you can pitch to someone and be like, oh, I want to find out what happens next. You'd have to have Jack Nicholson right. saying those lines. You'd have to have the music, the production value to do it. Um, but uh, like a movie that I know you really liked and uh, I did not. Suspiria, which is did the remake I'm talking about here, did not catch the world on fire yeah. last year, but was never. It's like no. the the aim was never for that. Like there's no way you could have said like, oh Amazon, they've got the next like horror series on their hands with this version of it. Like, and there's this strange like you know I guess the the cool kids uh you know in the cafeteria this thing where it's like this is just for me and no one else. And I love it. And uh, I have those things too, but I don't want every like sort of release to be that specific. Like that's the thing with the Marvel movies mm-hmm. where it's like, well, that's, you know, they're really good, but you know, you have to know character X, Y, and Z and you have to sort of follow along this like sort of TV series over the years. And so Suspiria nope. also something that I can never, <laughs> I could just, you know, the, the grandma TNT test. <laughs> I can't, mm. I could not just put on Avengers Endgame and be like, yeah, you know, this is the number one movie of the year. And she would probably look at me like I had three heads. She'd be like, okay, find something else. <laughs> Suspiria yeah, no, I think- maybe would work a little bit longer because she would get, <laughs> she would get, this is really weird. Like she would at least understand like, like what is happening. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but something like motherless Brooklyn or even American history X, which I think at the time was seen as like some sort of like edgy independent film mm-hmm. seems now like, yeah. Uh, like something that you know would just be uh like a cbs film release or something it just seems like the most standard fare and there is some sort of disconnect as far as what we expect from like filmmakers now that they have to be like hyper specific and can't have this like large appeal yeah it's interesting that you say that because i I think you're right i think we (laughs) we want to walk out of a movie going like i know exactly what that director was after like i it's it's this unifying theory right um, and yet that flies in the face of everything that's, uh, well, actually maybe it doesn't. I, now that I'm kind of saying it out loud, it makes sense in the age we're in, in the age of franchise filmmaking, um, where uh, no matter who directs a movie, there's a guiding hand behind it from the producer and being like, this is what we're trying to say. Right. So I think that's become much more acceptable instead of a movie that actually makes you think. Because there's a, you know, say what you will about Motherless Brooklyn, you don't have to love it. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but there's a lot going on here. And it's, it is spelling some stuff out for you, but there's a lot happening. It's not just a like, oh, we go from A to B. Like there's a whole world interacting with our lead character that continues to go on after the credits roll. And I think, uh... I think it all comes back to, you mentioned the TNT test. There is this, like, we have, like, this allergic reaction to a movie that's good. Pretty good. I enjoyed my time with that movie. Like, it's the worst thing you can can have happen. The other way of saying, spelling it out for you is they're telling a story that has a clear definitive. Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing where, uh, you know, Motherless Brooklyn uh, does not lend itself to the type of, like, internet uh, writing where it's like, you know, what really happened in like this 15 minutes of motherless Let's Brooklyn. Let's talk about the ending <laughs> to motherless Brooklyn. Like, no, no, pretty clear. Were you watching well, it? That's yeah. That's like, what happened. You've watched it. I've watched it. I mean, we can say if we liked it or not, but I, th- I think we know like, you know, what, what has transpired in this. Um, yes. I don't know. I, I am, you know, hyper concerned as a, a movie guy as opposed to, and I, I like 
watching television, but the sort of turning everything into uh, something that like Lindelof would make, like where it's like an episode mm-hmm. of Lost, where we're like trying to piece together, like, well, I think I know what's happening, but what? And I loved Lost when it was airing; it was fun to play that. But yeah. I, I don't go to the movies treating them as such, where it's like I want to research every time I go to the movies what was actually happening and what I just spent twelve bucks on. I'm at the point now where I like, honest to God, feel bad for directors. Like, it's like you can't win, right? Like, you can be, you could be the guy who like spells everything out and has things make sense. And people are like, well, well, that's a boring way to make a movie <laughs> where everything makes sense. And then you have people who like, you know, you have M. Night Shyamalan, right? Who like built his career on twists. And now we're like, fuck that guy. Oh, here's the twist. Big surprise. <laughs> like, you can't win. You just, unless you sign on to a franchise film, which will get, you know, a billion dollars. Like at this point, it's like, no matter what you do, like if you are in a tour and there's a certain theme to your work, then it's like, this old guy only makes mobster movies. And then if you switch it up, they're like, I wanted a mobster movie. Like you just, or, there's you know, no winning. Here. You know, the, uh, the, the, such the, the, the bold, uh, groundbreaking attempt, uh, to make a, a quote unquote good movie out of a comic book character like Joker. That seemed to be the, the you know, from the, the guy who, Too bad uh, they failed, but nice try. Nice try hangover. Well, I, I was going to mention road trip because I quite like road trip. And I'm like, you've still never topped that Mr. Phillips. War dogs. Nope, no. Nope. <laughs> you you can't waste Miles Teller like that for me. That's just you know poor form. But you know that there was some sort of like obvious like lowering of the bar there, where it's like uh, you know a little bit of honesty of like, hey, we couldn't make this movie if it wasn't like with the Joker IP. But also the the sort of like massive ego you have to have to be like, so we decided to to really really uh, show you people. But we made it a little bit good. What do you think about that? Greatest thing you've ever seen? Mike, no one was in a rubber suit. Nothing exploded. Clearly, it's an art film. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 what's happening here, Mike. He lost weight, Mike. The man lost weight for a role. I mean, well, come on. Give him his Oscar. Look, uh, <laughs> you know, Edward Norton, a very skinny man. How about that? And he does that <laughs> year-round. Not History X, he wasn't. It's pretty pretty big, yeah. Pretty pretty imposing. Yeah. Half convinced it was CGI. Like that, there's no way you got that much bulk because you look at him and he's like he's it's got a thin frame. Uh, so this is drastic. <laughs> like, it's a lot. Yeah, that's. I, I think that you can do that a few times, but uh, then then you get the reputation where you're like, oh, like like, Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, like oh <laughs> this again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. Here like, we go. Like with everything else. Um there's a there's a song um and I, I'm not the biggest like L C D sound system fan, so really what I'm referencing here is uh that the documentary on Shut Up and Play the Hits on their suppose their last concert that, you know, four years down the road was not their last concert, but whatever. It was a break. <laughs> it was a break and it was a cash grab. But uh Losing My Edge. Are you familiar with this one? I think it came out like in the early two thousands. Uh, is one of their I've first heard big. of it. I'm familiar with it. But uh, I don't well, think I've like seen a lot of their stuff, it's like you know, basically like sort of his like spoken word style of singing, very long. But the, the the point of it is, he's looking at the internet age and basically saying that uh, as like a DJ, 
it's not sustainable for him to like have the, the aura of someone with knowledge and that, uh, years transpiring <laughs> and getting older, like you, you've lost the edge over the upcoming generation because they can just sort of mainline everything at a much faster pace that they don't actually have to <laughs> take time and effort of, you know, years to accumulate all that pop culture knowledge. And so he's going to be pushed over far faster than, you know, the, the cool guys ahead of him that he sort of like ripped mm. off and naped. And that seems to kind of have transpired very quickly. Like you and I have been like podcasting about movies for like five years now. I think we started around the same time. And I, I look back to 2014 <laughs> and it may have been right at the cusp. I didn't even realize then uh, how little value there was going to be in talking about the stuff like that's coming up. Like how quickly it's disposed right. of and not worth a moment's thought. And it is unfortunate when we're talking about Joker that that's, that's one of the rare ones where it's like, well, you got a few weeks out of that. And Motherless right. Brooklyn, uh, I saw it Sunday, a matinee and I look at my phone and it's like projected to make $3 million. I'm like, well, this, it's almost like other than I like talking with you as far as making a podcast about it damn near worthless to put put this out there yeah yeah i mean it's it's one of those things like you know just some behind the scenes stuff both of us used to do new release podcasts sometimes together sometimes separate and now it's like i mean especially depending on where you live like if i didn't live in the bay area like if i lived you know in nevada or in colorado like it would just be like hey there's 10 screens nine of them are the latest uh comic book movie the latest franchise film if you're lucky you get one small movie with maybe two showings a day, you know? So it's like, and then it's gone. So it's like, you know, it might as well be relegated to streaming like that might as well, because that's where it's going to head right now. Like there's just, there's no point in, because you can talk about say like, Hey, people should go see this movie, but if it's not available, like, okay, well I'll wait two weeks and I'll get it on iTunes, I guess. Like, so, and, you know, like uh, even, battle for sure. Even go back to uh, American History X in you know, uh, fall 1998. Uh, I don't know, but I'm pretty damn skippy that we didn't we didn't get this like in theaters in Kentucky, or if we did, it might have been for a week or two. So that that would be very similar to right. now, presumably with Motherless Brooklyn. The difference would be that with that the the, the time factor of like choosing your entertainment. There was that gap and that buildup where it's like, oh, I'll see that when it comes to video. And right. now you're, you're competing like at all. I, I can't keep up myself with like the things I add to my watch list apps. Right. And, and we're movie guys. Yeah. Like <laughs> we're the ones who should be able to keep up with this. But there's just so much. Now there's like so little content on the big screen, but so much content elsewhere that everything gets lost in the shuffle unless you like, <laughs> unless you're one of those jerks is like, well, I'm going to set a reminder on my phone <laughs> when this comes out on Netflix. Like, it's like, that's the only way you might remember. I, I am one of those that's jerks. Coming out. However, I'm also, I'll double down on my jerkdom. Uh, even though I set those reminders, I'm like, I'll get She'll to ignore it. Them. I'll get to it. Yeah, I'll get to that later. <laughs> so there was no point. Uh, so I guess that's my way of saying, like, I slightly understand, I guess, the, uh, the apathy when it comes to something like motherless Brooklyn, that if it doesn't completely sure. shatter people's skulls, just, you know, just let it pass. And, but I, you know, in watching American history X, other than maybe some of the, the rhetoric that, you know, it had some, you know, it had some scenes that would be very, I don't want to say appealing, but certainly attention grabbing uh, at that time. Yes. I, you know, I, I don't know. 
let's let's switch places here. Like, you know, I, I don't know if American History X, if it was Edward Norton, uh, it'd have to be, I guess, more age appropriate for him. He'd be <laughs> he'd be a guy fired from his job, like <laughs> when he's middle aged, that takes up the uh, the Nazi cause, but or you know, someone's elected president that that loves those people, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that would get any traction now. Like it, like it did then, where it was something that I think you did pass around probably to other young men saying like, Oh man, you got to check this out or you got to at least watch this forever. Norton's performance. I, I don't think it would be enough now, like in 2019. No, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think this would grab the attention like it did then. I mean, the only way it would, and even this is a stretch, right? Like there are movies that get shortlisted for Oscars and okay, this is something you need to look out for. And then they come and go and nobody sees them. Right. Uh, so this still might get that now. Cause I do think this is, although, you know, I mentioned it's like intense, intense, intense for 120 minutes, but Norton is, it's great here in this role. It's a fantastic performance. He got nominated for an Oscar that year and he absolutely earned it. Uh, and he still might now if a movie like this came out right now. If if somehow, you know, Edward Norton's career never existed and someone was born and it's like now this movie got released as is, I think it probably still gets that kind of publicity. But I don't think a Best Actor nomination is enough publicity nowadays to get butts and seats. And, you know, some of it's, you know, the industry itself is too expensive, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And it's also like, well, there's only one showing of this movie uh, on the weekend. So if I miss that one or if I can't go to that one, well, I'll wait till next week. Oh, it's gone. You know, <laughs> like so even if you really want to see something, you got to it's like you have to schedule your life around movies in order to see something different. And that's a shame. Like, that's yeah. that's where we're at. I, I did that this week with uh on hey. uh, election night, I, I rushed out to see Jojo Rabbit because I'm like, oh shit, do I have one week? Like, what's my window here? So it's been a very mm-hmm. uh, Nazi-centric week. I was going to say, you and your Nazi movies. Well, and Jesus. Donald Trump <laughs> came to Kentucky, so <laughs> like he was yeah, in my... Yeah, well, that fits. He was, he was in my in my town. So yeah, I'm, I'm on some sort of list just like you uh, because of my movements that are being tracked, what I'm uh, consuming. But uh, I... You know, I was about to say, I wonder if, uh, people would be as favorable, uh, to, uh, seeing a redemption story from a Nazi now. Mm. I don't, maybe not as much since Could it's you, a real the thing. The thick pieces would be insane if this movie came out now. Like, if a movie like this came out now, there were, it's just like, you know, all the, there's been all these kind of magazines to come up with articles and be like, let's meet the new Nazis of America. And like, they're actually clean cut, nice guys. Isn't that crazy? Like no, not really. They're just rich white guys who want to keep their money and keep yeah. everything cloistered. <laughs> like that actually makes sense. That's not a surprise. Um, so I think there is a very strong and valid reaction to stories like that, where we're trying to. I mean, think about it. this this movie where we're making a protagonist out of a man who caught two black men stealing his car, shot them. And then literally broke open one of their skulls. Like this is a terrible, terrible act. And by the end of the movie, you feel bad for this guy, which one is like, oh, well, then that's a very good script and a very good movie. But I think there's a reaction to that, especially from audiences of color, uh, which might come at this from a different angle than two white guys. Right. I mean, it's it's hard to watch and it's supposed to be put Sam Rockwell in it. 
I'm watching Jojo Rabbit. I'm seeing him as a Nazi. <laughs> well, and I'm like, it's his whole career. His whole career is like, <laughs> oh, look at this nice racist. <laughs> like it's just, like, it, it works, man. Like you know, we came out of Jojo Rabbit, and uh, my wife, uh, you know, I was like, what do you think? You know, like the movie. And uh, then she was like, I just love that Sam Rockwell. Just love Sam Rockwell. And it's like <laughs> you just can't, you know, you can't help it. And I mean, I, you know, if you've not seen Jojo Rabbit, it it fits far more in the Moonrise Kingdom camp of Norton's work right. than American History X, even though there are Nazis in it. But yeah, so it's more that type of movie. There's sure. <laughs> there, there are likable Nazis in the sense that they are ridiculous, <laughs> like cartoon characters right. in that. Um, like Ethan Supley, I guess, also a cartoon character in American History X a little bit. Boy, when I was watching American History X, I'm like, man, I mean, I get why they're doing it, but they are hitting the slurs hard in this movie. Like, it was just like. I don't think they would have to do that as much now. I think that that it was meant to be like, oh, no, these, oh, these type of people. Whereas now, if you. They're like real Nazis. Yeah. Now, (laughs) now we see them on the news. So we're like, oh, okay, it's a different type. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I've, I've watched a few of these, you know, those documentaries that have come out, you know, in the, in the Trump years, uh, you know, on the alt right. They're just boring. They're boring people, man. They're just like, re- I mean, there's just nothing. There's no there there. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I probably, I probably would be one of those people that would be like, I'd see American History X. I'm like, oh, God, more of this bullshit. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't right. know. Maybe I would pass on it as well. Uh, but it was, uh, riveting back in 1998 because, it wasn't real. It was like, oh yeah, that's a dying thing, right? That's right. a fictional, right. but that's also, as you said, and even if it wasn't dying, it's so small. It's like these little tiny communities. It never felt like, oh, the the alt right is a big deal. Like it never felt like that back in the and 90s. Also, and now it's like, I'm speaking as a a white guy that was that grew up around nothing but white people. So I'm never really <laughs> having to see anybody like lash out in sort of racist terms because. Who are they yeah. lashing out at? Uh, so I went to the movies. The joy of the movies, then. To- <laughs> yes. Movie magic, guys. <laughs> Nazis. Uh, that's okay. I think that's a that's a, that's usually we try to end on a down note. There we go. I think that's... Yeah. Uh, if, and if you can, uh, go see that new Ed Norton movie. That Ed Norton got a raw deal. Hollywood. If you can, yes. Like, yes. You know, go now. <laughs> I I am not that quick with my editing, so it's it's probably done for. Okay. Uh, rent it on iTunes, then. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll be way past that release date, too, by the time I get this thing up. It'll be... <laughs> It'll be streaming on various services. It'll be on uh, yeah. what's the, one of the low rent ones, Dave? I can't pick on stars because I love my stars. You can't take it away from me. Uh, what movie is that? The Ooh, that's uh, an old is that the one? I don't think is it that can make too low movie. rent. I, I don't think it can do that. Uh, it may be on uh, Hoopla. How about that? Like the free library Ooh, service. Good pull. There I we like go. it. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Uh, you can also find me and Dave on a podcast directed by. Uh, I think I at one point did try to strong arm you into an Ed Norton month because at the time there was just keeping the faith. So it's been one episode, one glorious episode. Yeah. Uh, but we're doing this Scorsese guy right now instead. Yeah, this little-known director, Martin Scorsese. So the idea of the podcast is we pick a director for the month, sometimes two months, because Scorsese is great, uh, and we basically go through as much of their filmography as as we can, uh, sometimes up to ten movies, and we kind of talk about, you know, their, we bring up the auteur theory, kind of like, okay, what is... 
what is their kind of unifying theme here? What do we expect from a movie by this director? So we do a different director every month. You know, we've done everything from uh, John Ford to Sofia Coppola. You know, we might be moving into some of Mike's favorite directors coming up soon. Uh, if you're listening to this in December, we'll be on to Mike's favorite, favorite director. Uh, so tune, tune in for lots of romantic comedies and good kitchens. Uh, so yeah, uh, you should check out our podcast and follow us on Twitter at Directed by Pod. What a pro! You just had that at the Reddit. You even threw in the Nancy Myers thing, you know, just to just you know, give yourself a curve. That that was, I'm assuming, like on your like fake teleprompter, that was not there. So you're like, all right, I, I, Mike, you know, he doesn't promote his stuff well, so he's starting to waver. So I need to grab his attention, bring him back in. Great, uh, yeah, great. That's how it works. All right, it's good enough. It's good. Cool. It's easy, man. Done and done. It's like we're friends. It's like like talking to each other. It's weird. <laughs> well, 